This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Name Ever podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast, I'm Jamie Smith and with me today are James, Adam and Michael. Just one game to go through today, which is a bit of a shame compared to the recent podcast, but it was a win, a 2-1 victory over QPR at Turf Moor, so let's get straight into it. Uh, very, very good result in a massive game, Michael, it was Difficult to understate how vital it was that we got that win. Massive result, mate. I, 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 it's one of the happiest I've, happiest I've been this season after after a game, just uh, because of the importance of it. But we're going to stay up this season if we can beat the teams around us. Yeah, it doesn't matter how you perform against. Well, it doesn't matter how you perform against the top top half of the table. But beating them teams around us is what's key. You only have to look at the points difference now between. I think it's nineteenth and twelfth, something like three points. So. Huge, huge result. It's it's psychological as well, isn't it, to be able to get out of that bottom three. And although we've been playing really well the last few games, we'd only won something like one in nine, I think. So it was really vital that we carried over that form into a game that we all knew was winnable and we all knew was going to be really important. But the fact that we got out of the bottom three and put QPR back in, I think that's, that's really key, especially with the games that we've got coming up. It's a bit of a shame that Palace and Leicester won as well, so... That, Impact was slightly reduced, um, and two really good goals that we scored as well, James. Sensational, uh, particularly since I think we've talked about it quite a lot recently. He seemed to have gone off the boil a little bit, and I think you could see how much it meant to him as well when it hit the back of the net. He, he looked like he was pretty close to tears actually, um, and obviously the Ings won. I, I'm not really sure what either defender's doing, um, but you can't fault him for but for his footwork there to to take it round and score. Yeah, the emotion on Arfield's face, absolutely, you could tell that it was a big release because he'll, he'll know that he's not been playing that well. I think I sent the tweet when I saw the team saying that I was a bit surprised Kylie wasn't there. And I know Kevin, who's on the podcast quite often, he's been calling for Kylie to come in. So Arfield proved us both wrong with a, a really, really excellent goal. Um, Harry Redknapp complained about the defending. James has mentioned the defending. I suppose all goals to an extent are preventable, aren't they? But I think in Otterfield's case in particular, he has beaten three players and bent it in the corner. So 
it's probably a bit harsh to, to criticise the defending a bit too much for that one, Michael. Yeah, he's um, he's, he's done brilliantly to turn to turn him inside out, really. And then I think he was comparing it to, oh, we're not playing against Messi here, but <laughs> he, he, hands down, he turned him inside out and put it away. Yeah, maybe disappointed with how they defended against. The, on the Ings goal because it was just a knock forward he's taking it down very well showed good feet to get across but back onto his left foot and then put it away but that's what he needs in, the division, in this division you need that bit that cutting edge so um, and to, you need to be able to take advantage of defensive errors if you could call it that which I don't think it was I think it was just great play from both, both Ings and Arfield to, to bag I think the, the Ings goal it's it's only bad defending initially, I think. As soon as they let the, that ball bounce, then they're in trouble. But I think Ings are still beating the two defenders, so I think you've got to give him a lot of credit. And although the finish didn't look that clean, it was probably about the only one that would have gone in. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Unless unless he's slicing it with the outside of his left foot into the bottom left, it it just struggled to put that in. So it's he scuffed it a bit, but it's, it's the, it was the right right shot if he, if he meant it is the right right shot selection really on that I do, I do think you've, so you've got to give Ings credit but at the same time I think like you said the original ball just neither defender really seemed to know what they were doing and as a result he's he's got the time to take it down and obviously he beats them both hands up so it's you know it's he's still done very well but I think if you were either of those defenders you'd probably be looking at Ashton going why did one of us not head it yeah, I think I think it was probably a bit of a case of an uh, an after you, wasn't it? And then by the time they decided who was whose job it was to get rid of it, it was already a bit too late, and Ings was in. Um, just before Ings's winner, though, I think it's really important to highlight a save Tom Heaton made from from Vargas. I think it was it was probably the best save of the game, and it was at a period where QPR were probably having their best time in the match. They'd just got back on level terms with Charlie Austin's penalty. And I, th- I really feel like that heat and save was a big turning point because a couple of minutes after that we were in front, and we're really starting to see from heat and now I feel that he's he's joining the likes of Shackle and Trippier and Ings as being really really comfortable at Premier League level, and I think he's he's been a bit underrated at times this season. People don't seem to have talked about how good he's been, but I think there was a stat that said he, he's only made one mistake that's made for led to a goal and that's the joint lowest of all goalkeepers in the Premier League this season so really need to, to give a lot of credit for the goalkeeper who sets that solid base for the rest of the team Michael <laughs> I'm actually surprised you brought this up because I've got Rin down next to me he's a bit of an unsung hero this season so I think that sums it up um, he's not had the praise he probably deserves he's looked, he's, he has looked solid week in week out um, and I, I, I know for once in my life that I'm quite confident that Heaton's going to be able to deal. We've got to keep that can deal with shots coming in on goal. He's not going to spill it out to someone or, or just like flap his arms a little bit. Is you can be quite pretty confident that with him, Keane and Shackle, we've got quite a solid base in the centre there. And alongside that, you've got Trippier. A bit worried about the left hand side, but it's a solid back line at the minute that we've got. And it's going to be great to see. I think, but yeah, I think Heaton does deserve a lot more credit from from the sides. You, it won't surprise me if he's up there at the end of the season in the player of the year category if he carries on how he is at the minute. Heaton, as a, as a player for us, has never actually been any different. I don't, I can't think of a time when I've ne- never actually been confident in Heaton. From from the Bolton game when he first joined us, um, the first game of the season, he, he's always impressed me. Like, but 
as fans, we've not, we've never really like sung his praises enough, really. So, so the I don't think actually much has changed this season, but I suppose as we've moved up to the the higher level that is the Premier League, um, his quality kind of shines through a little bit more. I think it's just that you don't really want to notice your goalkeeper. Do you? Ideally, he's not having to do much because you're protecting him and you're stopping the opposition from creating too many chances. But if he's not making mistakes, you're not noticing him as well. And I think Heaton just seems to to give off an air of sort of quiet assurance. Like everyone's really um, unconcerned about what he's going to do. You know he's reliable. He doesn't sort of come out and not get balls like a lot of goalkeepers. I think the only time that you could maybe criticise him for that was the, the goal against Liverpool. But Sterling's so quick, you can understand why he won that foot race. Um, James has just put a stat on our little chat thing saying that in fantasy football points, which is, as everyone knows, the most objective measure possible, uh, Tom Heaton is the sixth best goalkeeper in the Premier League. So uh, perhaps another to, to talk about in terms of potential England recognition in the future, although this season is maybe a bit too early, but there's, there's so few English goalkeepers around James, he's, he's got to be mentioned in the conversation at some point, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, one of the guys he's ahead of right now is Joe Hart, only by one point, but, um, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, English keepers around, and I think most of the ones who are there have been been in the frame before, sort of like Rob Green, etc., uh, and they've not really shown much. So you know, there's, I think there's a chance there that one day he could be um, he could be in the England squad. I think there's also obviously a chance that he could move on from Burnley if um, if we don't stay in the Premier League. You could probably say that for about half a dozen of our players. There's probably no point worried about that at this stage. Um, something else I want to talk about from the QPR game was Charlie Austin, who of course got on the score sheet as you'd probably expect, as he did at Loftus Road. Um, we all agreed that it definitely was a penalty. There was some debate before people saw match of the day on Saturday night, but Dean has tripped him up, hasn't he? So I can leave that one all side. day. All day long. <laughs> Sorry, Marnie. Definite penalty. But he's, he's taken it well. He didn't have that many other chances. What did you make of his overall performance, Michael? Um, I, I think he was the weak link of the weekend, to be honest. He, he, he didn't impress me massively, but it wasn't like he was awful. He was just the poorer of of the team, and that tackle probably summed it up. It seemed a bit, it was need a bit of a needless tackle. He left his foot in, didn't need to, um, and put us under pressure by doing that. So I was a bit disappointed with his tackling at the weekend and, and how he played. But it's everyone's entitled to have an off day, to be honest. I think Austin as well. He's he's the sort of striker who needs a lot of chances to be created, and QPR didn't really do that for him. He hit the post with one that was a bit of a half chance and. Apart from that, he, he didn't really get many sights of goal. I think we restricted his chances quite well in that respect. And, and maybe the, the performance of Joey Barton, who I felt was really, really off his game on Saturday, maybe that had an effect as well because his supply line seemed to be to be cut off um, a little bit. In the second half, James, when QPR were pushing for that goal, were you confident we were going to see it out? They didn't create an awful lot. We seemed to hold them at arm's length quite well. I'm really glad you said second half then, not first half, because I only actually saw the second half. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought I, I thought we looked in control, to be honest, um, which possibly isn't something you say very often um, when you come in under pressure like that. But I, you know, I thought that we, we had it under control, and to be honest, I'm not really sure how we didn't get another in the second half. I think all the home wins actually, uh, QPR, Southampton, and. 
Hull was the other one, wasn't it? I think all of those games we've looked reasonably comfortable when we've we've got in front. I mean, it, you're always going to come under pressure when when teams start putting more strikers on, but I was never that concerned that QPR were going to get another, even when Heaton had to make a save um, right at the end from I think it was Colker's Colker's header. But yeah, it seems to be quite unruffled, and we probably should have had more goals. Really, the Ashley Barnes one. What did you think of the, the Barnes one, Michael? The disallowed one for the foul on Rob Green? Um, well, for me, at first glance when I watched it through, I thought, yeah, I can see why, why the refs probably belong against him there. It's that, that whole, the old oh, keeper always gets the advantage in that situation. But then, on second look of it, I think Barnes is the one that got fouled, to be honest. I think he was getting pulled back himself, and then I watched it again on match of the day, and I totally, totally think that that, that goal should have stood. Because Barnes is the one that was getting pulled down initially, so a bit harsh on harsh on us. And I think, really, think we should have had three one. To be honest, not that I had a bet three one ings any time, but <laughs> not bitter. It's, it's it's just a sign of the the protection goalkeepers get. I think, isn't it? I mean, Hill on Barnes, he's he's hauling him about a bit, but you rarely see them giving. Whereas you go anywhere near a goalkeeper in the six yard box now, and it seems to be a foul game every time. I think it was. Really unlucky, but we had plenty of chances to kill the game off after that. We seemed to squander quite a lot of breakaways, and I think Dash mentioned that clinical edge that we've talked about on the podcast before. And perhaps we should have put two or three more away. What do you reckon, James? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few chances there that you know we perhaps should have scored. I mean, on the Barnes one, for I, I agree with Michael, I have no idea what that's been given for in the end. There's just some hands up, and I'm not really sure how you can judge that as a foul on the keeper. But, I mean, then you look at the Ings chance as well later on where, you know, he looks in a really good position to score. He's timed his run absolutely perfectly. Uh, and then he just takes a bit too much of a, you know, a heavy touch to take it around the keeper and he's, he's knocked it out of play. Yeah, well, I wasn't sure what he's really trying to do with that one because it seemed like he was too close to the goal to take it round green. It felt like he should have just hit it as soon as he got in. It was almost... Like he was surprised that the ball came through. We don't seem to play a lot of those through balls, so maybe he wasn't expecting the ball to arrive. But that was a great chance. But there were a couple more breaks after that. I think Boyd got down the left once and and didn't get his head up to get the cross in. There were a couple of really good chances. And on another day, we could have got punished by an equaliser at the end. And maybe we were a touch fortunate that that didn't happen. But I think overall... 2-1 2-1 was, was probably a fair reflection of the game. I think we were certainly the better side. and Although I think some of the QPR players, and Brednack might have said otherwise, that he thinks it was unfair. I think they're talking rubbish, really. Um, QPR players, as well, had a bit of a, a, a set two, shall we say, with their fans at the end. That's probably a good sign for us, isn't it, that one of our relegation rivals is is coming apart a little bit. Of course, the defeat sent them back into the bottom three and they haven't got a single point away from home yet. What did you make of QPR, Michael? <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit comical, the, that whole situation when they were arguing away with each other, but I can understand the fans' frustration as well. If you were travelling, well, I don't know how far it is to London, but if you've been travelling 10 games on the road and you beat every other week and the performance is not improving, you can see why they're getting very annoyed. As for QPR as a side... I didn't think they showed enough to say that the out stay up. Um, we had that bit more desire, desire to want it, but then I guess they'd have said that same thing when we played them down at their place. So 
it's, it's it's a really tough one to call at the minute, especially with how the league's teed up. But based on if I'm just going off what I saw on Saturday, I'd say they're, they're not not just they're just not good enough at this level at the minute, despite the players that they've got got at their disposable disposal. I don't know if that were down to players having off days, like you said. Barton wasn't great; he wasn't really at the races. Austin Austin wasn't at his best. Um, so I don't know if it's just down to one of them off days, but they're the games that you need to be up for if you're wanting to stay up. So, yeah, I think I think I think they could definitely be in in, in a deep battle if they don't turn, especially the away form around around quickly because it's just like us went in on nine ten when we went down. It's even worse than we were. They haven't got a single point away from home yet. It's amazing. I think it's the first time a Premier League club has failed to get a single point from the first ten away games. It's it's remarkable, really. You'd normally scab something by now. I was say, remember it doesn't start Premier League though. If you go back, I think it's the sixties, sixties or late fifties, one of them. Liverpool twenty games unbeaten away from home. I believe is the record. Without a win, you mean? Without a win, yeah, yeah, away from home. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> as, as anyone who watches Sky Sports knows, football started in 1992, so anything that happened before that just doesn't count. Um, there's a long way to go, obviously, but this this is the first time in a good few weeks that we have been out of the bottom three. QPR got sent back in there. Uh, put you on the spot, James. Who would be your three to go down right now? Obviously, it changes by the week, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I think um, if, if you look at the table now, I think those are likely the, the three teams that I think would go down. I mean, Leicester look... And obviously they've managed to get two wins from the last couple, but they look well and truly lost pretty much since they, they drew with us. Um, and QPR, unless they win away from home, you literally you can't see a way that, that a team can get for a season without winning a, away from home and, and staying up. The thing with QPR for me is that I just can't see the home form lasting as well. I think the comparison to us under Oli Coyle is quite a good one in that they they're not getting anything away in the home results. Um, they've just got to stop winning at home at some point. And QPR fans were pointing to a stat that said they only played, they haven't played anyone from the bottom eight or something away from home. But they've played at Turf Moor now and got beat as well. So they haven't even got that to grasp at anymore. I think QPR are going to find it really difficult. Um, what about you then, Michael? Are you have three to go. QPR is one of mine. I think um, I just can't see them. Turning that form around, I can, ma- I can imagine them getting a bit trigger happy, and maybe sending old Harry Packy in at some point if, if things if things don't pick up massively. And if that happens, I think it tie in with a, a drop in home form and see them really, really, really struggling. Leicester are an odd one for me. I think they picked up a couple of points recently, and depending how the new January signings gel, because I can imagine throwing a bit more money yet before the end of a window at it. If they gel well, they might just scrape out. I think Villa are in a bit of free fall at the minute, so I can imagine them finally going down. It's about time because they've been hanging around there for a couple of seasons, and Hull City are just they look, look look a bit lost. So I can imagine them going as well. I think Villa's problem is goals, and they've only scored a few all season really, and it's difficult. I think it's eleven or something from twenty one, so half the games really not scored. In when you're struggling for goals, that is tend to seems to be that when you go down but the bottom half of the league is tight as always I mean I think most of us would probably agree that Everton aren't realistic candidates to go down but anyone below them and you've got 
eight teams, I think it is, eight teams that could easily go down. Sunderland, I think, are, are well worth mentioning. They're really struggling at the minute, and our game up there in a few weeks' time is going to be big for both teams as well. For me, this this run of games that we're on at the minute, I think this is this is when we need to get our points, because after these, the games start to look really hard, and I know you can get three points from anywhere if you're on, on your game, but the reality is if we can beat Palace and West Brom at home, then we're going to be well above the line for a few weeks. Yeah, I think what you said about Everton is is probably right, that that's sort of the marker that you can say anyone below that could go down. I mean, Everton themselves have clearly scored too many goals to go down. They've scored 30 goals. And there's no way you can imagine a team who's scored 30 at this point going on to not score enough to pick up points. Um, but what you said about Villa is you know, incredible. I mean, they make us look prolific. And some people would say we've been lacking goals. I think before the last few, we were comparable to Villa, but after scoring a few at, at City and a few at Newcastle, and then uh, obviously two at the weekend, which was the first time we scored more than one at home all season, actually. So that's that's important. I think our goals have picked up, and our goal difference as well, I noticed, as other teams have slipped back a little bit. Ours is now only the, the joint worst in the league, rather than being the worst by some distance, as it was for quite a time. So... That's no longer worth another point against us. I think that's comparable to half a dozen teams. I think looking at the table now, so that's not something to worry about too much. Um, we'll come on to the Palace game a bit later in the program, but that will be another another big six pointer if you want to call it that. But we will mention that a bit later in the show. I want to talk about Sean Dash now. Now we tend to focus on the players um, on the podcast, if not on the website, and rightly or wrongly, I think we should. Uh, have a different tack today because it was 100 league games for our manager and another victory, another home victory. Our home form has been pretty good generally under dive. So I want to talk to everyone who's on the podcast today and find out what they think has been a really defining factor in why we've we've succeeded so much under Sean Dyche in the last two and a bit years it is now. Adam, if we can start with you. On, on Saturday night, I, I decided to finally change my tune and, and write another article for the site an actual article not a podcast summary or or a live blog um and i i was watching the the press um the, the interviews on sky after after the game and i, I the the difference between Dyche and, and harry redknapp just really really highlighted to me what's so good about Dyche, and it, it's that he's he's so logical um and he, he's not he never really engages in cliché. In a way, he has his own clichés because he says the same thing really often. Um, but I think his, his almost hyper-logical approach, um, he, he solves any any problem by looking at it, uh, at it on its merits. Um, and I, I think that's really valuable in, in, in football, which is just obsessed with, with like kind of the... the, the um, emotional storylines, the, the great... I don't, I don't know, the... The sort of superstition and, and emotion that, that everyone gets drawn into, and that's why we love the game. But it's also probably not the best way to deal with the game in, in terms of trying to get it, um, results out of it. Um, and I, I think that is why Dice um, has done so well with us. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. And I've been guilty of being a bit frustrated with some of the things that Dice says because he he can talk a bit management speak at times. And, um, Sometimes it doesn't seem like what he's saying actually means anything. When he comes out with stuff like market leaders, but um, he's he's got his little phrases that he likes, like being relentless. And I think 
they really underpin what the team's all about. So it clearly does mean something to the players, even if for some of us sometimes it's a bit of a head scratcher. Um, Michael, if we can come on to you next, what's the defining factor been for you? I think it's the scientific approach he takes to the game. He's one of these new breed of managers, as they're always called. Um, I remember, I, th- I think I recall Steve Cotterill was called that at one point as well, but he's actually he's actually got the um, oh, the, <laughs> the, the the knowledge to back it up, I guess. Where you look at look at the, who he's brought in since coming in, and I've actually got a friend who's on their te- who's on the technical team at the turf, who does the analysis, and they make great use of pros on down at the turf. Um, whether going into going back down to Gawthorpe midweek, looking at how we've played positions that we're taking up, the runs that players are making, and how how they can improve the game, and I think that's really spilled out onto the training pitch as well, and the mentality that he's instilled in the players, and it all comes from the scientific backing that basis that he's got to his management style, and a lot of the time he'll talk about how his players are the. He can rely on his players and the fitness, and that's why he's consistently picking the same team. And that is because it goes back to the same approach that he keeps bringing to it, and 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 the the training he employs. I think the sports science team, I think, deserve a mention at this point. I know it's a guy called Mark Howard does a lot of good work in that department, and all clubs probably do the same sort of statistical analysis now. But it's it's how much you take that into to account, I suppose, and. We, we tend to talk about stuff like substitutions and like bemoan why Dash leaves it so long, but I've no doubt that that's a, a statistical decision that he's made and we're just not privy to the to the numbers involved. Um, James, you're next then. Um, I, I think a big part of it has been his desire um, you know, to use something that probably sounds like it's not uh, an attribute for a football manager. Um, it, it's clear that he knows what he wants to do um, and that while everyone else may think it's not possible he knows he can do it and he, he's got that desire to make it work uh, against what most people would say would be uh, conventional thinking that you can take a group of players who've been cheaply assembled and and you know stay up in the Premier League but he clearly believes he can and I think it's that, that belief and that desire to to do it that, that is why he's been so successful so far I think if you're comparing someone like Harry Redknapp as well, I think that's that's really noticeable. The last couple of years, I don't think Redknapp's heart's really been in it, probably since he felt like he was going to get the England job and then um, didn't. You know, I think desire can um, you know, can really help people perform above their level. I mean, obviously, Dash has got that desire to do well. And I'd imagine that the players all have that desire as well. And part of that will be that it feeds off him. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It certainly instills it in the players, doesn't it? And you talk about people like Scott Arfield and Ashley Barnes, who, uh, with the greatest respect, they didn't have a, a massive amount of um, success before coming to Burnley and working under Sean Dyche. And he's managed to take them on to, to levels that probably nobody thought they were capable of. So that desire and belief has certainly been a factor there. Um, one of the things I think has been important is the, the consistency of team selection. You see a lot of managers in the in the Premier League in particular, they, they rotate their squad like it's something that they have to do. And 
I think we've proven that you don't necessarily need to do that. I think QPR was the was it the seventh league game in a row that the same teams played. We had a similar run last season. I think that was eight, nine, even ten games where the same team played. Like when the team news came in, it, it wasn't really news because you knew who was going to be playing. Unless there's an injury, we we don't change it. I think that's that's really important because it means that after a while, everyone. Everyone knows their jobs inside out. They get a feel of what everybody else is going to be doing, and you start to to read what players are going to do in each situation. I think the combinations we've got all over the pitch: Martin Jones and central midfield, perfect fit, know each other inside out now. Barnes and Ings are starting to develop that partnership at the back. Shackle and Keane, it's the same combinations down the wing. The same Trippier and Boyd have got a really good understanding, and on the other side, Arfield and me work in a really good way as well. And I think. If you're playing week in, week out, the same 11, that's how those partnerships get forged. And you see these teams that are, are shuffled about every week and you just wonder if they're able to get that same sort of consistency. And I think that, that for me, is one of the key reasons. And Although sometimes we go, oh, why is Arfield still playing? He's not been playing that well. Kyle should get a game. Or when a cup game comes round, we'll go, well, this is a good opportunity to rest players and give the fringe players a game though. It's obviously really important to Dash that he has his settled team. Everyone knows their jobs inside out. And I think that's been, been really important. And although for me, I think um, there's one or two changes that we could make to improve the side. Dash is obviously going to wait till there's an opportunity to do so. And then he'll make it when he feels it's the right time rather than just making a change for the sake of it, which is what I feel like a lot of people do sometimes. That point kind of links back to everything else, because the especially James's point about the the desire. I think if you've got the consistency in the in the team selection and the partnership, you, you get that desire as a group. You get the whole whole group wants to fight for each other and, and have the desire, and it all links together um, quite quite nicely. Group, I said group. Um, James has just pointed out on, on our little chat thing that I said group, um, and I'm obviously turning to Sean Dyche, which is. What I tried to avoid in my article about it. That's that's what happens, though, isn't it? Everyone buys into to what Dad says and saying stuff like being relentless. Yeah, just, just sort of passes into a common phrase because it, it's been hammered into us for the last two years. So yeah, that that was our little analysis of, of how we think Sean Dyche has done and, and why he thinks why we all think he's been such a success. But I don't think it was important to recognise that 100 league games milestone because. We do tend to focus on the players and it's about time Dash got a little bit of the spotlight as well. Moving on now then, there's two games to look at before um, our next podcast, which will be next Monday. It's normal, it'll be online Tuesday or Wednesday. The first game is Wednesday night against Spurs. Uh, cup replay, probably no one of us wanted, but it is another opportunity to... Um, get a win on the board and build some confidence I suppose um, have just been talking about consistency of team selection with such a big game on Saturday are we expecting changes or is it going to be the same again assuming people are fit what do you think Michael? It'll probably be the same again I think um, it's one of them games where at the moment I really couldn't care less about it I, I kind of hoped towards the end of the game when we played them last time we'd have got beak so we could have done without it with where it's landed in this run of very important games. Ideally, ideally, I'd like to see one or two players rested, just to then the off rest to the game. But maybe Barnes for Volks, for example, Arfield for Kitely, 
them little changes where you can be confident, maybe laugh team for me, just a little change where you can be confident that the player coming in is going to be able to do the job while resting. Perhaps it's the, the players that he sees is key. Key 11, essentially. Yeah, I think um, the first game, he only made two changes, didn't he? One of those was enforced because Shackle had his injury, but I really felt um, Jones benefited from having that little rest. He has looked a bit tired at times. And I think the role he plays, it's really important to be 100%, otherwise you are going to be a little bit off it. And I felt his performance on Saturday against QPR was probably the best he's played all season. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. So if we do have the opportunity to do that with a couple of players and just freshen up the team a bit, and I do think Sam Volks would be a really good option if he is up for, for starting a game yet. I think that's something we could look to do, but I wouldn't be too surprised if Daesh does go the same again because it is very Sean Daesh. Um what do you think James? Um yeah I don't think he's gonna make a you know an awful lot of changes. Um that's just been the the way he's I think he's always played with the, the cup uh, competitions. Um, but I won't be surprised if Tottenham do make quite a few because obviously they've they've played I think the most games in the Premier League out of the Premier League teams so far. Um and obviously they've got a lot more games to come so You'd be thinking that they're they're looking at some of their players and they they don't want to be getting too worn out. I mean, I think particularly since uh, Ericsson played last time out, he might be someone who gets a bit of a rest since he's so key to their game. Yeah, there was a a stat going round on um, Twitter as well. I think it was a screenshot from Sky Sports about uh, distances covered in the last few games. Obviously, George Boyd was top by a long way because he's always going to be top by a long way. But Ericsson was actually second, and I was a bit surprised at that because he doesn't really come across like a player who's it, like running and energy doesn't seem to be a big part of his game. But he was second behind Boyd, and it just caught me by surprise. So maybe he'll be one that missed out. Kane didn't play at the turf, did he? So maybe he'll be rotated again. And Pochettino didn't seem to have an awful lot of respect for the cup competitions last year at Southampton, so. It'll be interesting to see what sort of team uh, Spurs put out. It's going to be our fourth time playing them in a month, actually, which is obviously quite unusual. Um, a defeat at Spurs and the draw in the cup. Fourth time? Third time? Third time? Fourth time? Totally lost count. Anyway, we've played them a lot recently, which is the important thing. That that has an impact sometimes, doesn't it, Michael? Because you... You learn about the opposition more than you do normally if you're only playing them twice a season. It'll be interesting to see if that does have an impact. Yeah, it will be quite interesting. Um, I can imagine with how Pochettino likes to change his team up, especially after the weekend. Um, yesterday's defeat, I think it was, against Crystal Palace. I can imagine imagine he will change it up a little bit. Um, familiar, familiarity. Oh, I can't even say familiarity-wise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's one of them where they're looking and go, oh, yeah, we've got them sussed um, pre-game. Or, or whether or not... It, I can imagine Dice just sitting the boys down and saying, look, it's just another game. Yeah, we've played them a bit, but it's just another game. Let's just take it how we would any other. So ho- hopefully that, I, that that's the case. Maybe we've learnt one or two tricks, ways to penetrate them a bit better, but... Um, I think after the the game at the turf last time out, I, I think we could be confident in in, in getting getting a result there. But I just have to wait and see. Like I say, I'm not I'm not actually that bothered about it. No, I think I think the players are probably more up for a cup game than, than the fans are at this stage. Survival is obviously the big thing for us, but hope, hopefully the players won't be 
tired from Wednesday going into the weekend game. You can't imagine it would have that much of an impact. They don't seem to have been bothered by by all the games at Christmas. Don't appear to have had that much of an impact. So, yeah, I expect maybe a couple of changes at the absolute maximum. But Spurs might rotate a bit more. Maybe that does give enough as an opportunity. Um, Leicester City will be up next at home in the next round, which you'd probably see as a winnable game. There is an opportunity for a cup run there, although I'm sure everyone would take survival now over a cup run if it was offered um, we'll move on to talking about Palace in a minute though we'll just do some predictions on Spurs first I think James what do you reckon are we going to get anything there is it going to go all the way or are we going to get beat I just want to be just stupidly um, ambitious and say we'll win 2 now. by me <laughs> I don't know what to make of that Michael 1-1 one, one, extra time penalties and then we'll probably get beat on penalties I think it might be a long night and that's probably not what we're after. I think it might be extra time as well. I don't want to call which way it might go, though. Um, the weekend game is another big one at Turbo. Crystal Palace are coming up this time and they are another team you would probably put down as a relegation rival. They have got a new manager, though, and that new manager bounce did help them speak Spurs at the weekend, as we have just mentioned in passing. And they came from behind to do that as well, which is perhaps... Um, a sign of, of a bit of belief that Alan Pardew has been able to put into his team. But on the flip side, they are missing a couple of important players as well. Jedinak is away at the Asian Cup and Balassi is at the African Cup of Nations and they are two of their better players. Um, it's hard to know what to make of it when a new manager comes in, isn't it, Michael? But Pardew does seem a, a good fit there. He's got his past there. The fans seem to be on board. They seem like a club that could be turning a corner to me. Yeah, it's almost like the great escape mark too, isn't it, when they survived last season with Pulis, um, when he came in. And they do look like a team that buoyed. I watched them at the weekend and I thought they were poor to begin with and they didn't look like they were in it, but then they just turned it around and come from nothing. So I'm, not, I'm really not sure what to make of them as a team because I think on, on their off day they are really poor then. Uh, on a good day they're good but another thing you got to take from it as well is they were at home at, at the weekend and they've got that vociferous report, um, support at home um, noise, noisiest fans in the country or whatever so I think that has a big factor on, on their ability to win games at Selhurst Park so coming up to the turf I hope, I hope for God's sake that, that it's at our place <laughs> I'm not just talking crap here but if it's up at our place then yeah I'm not even going to look at the fixture list. <laughs> it is at our place. We are, we, of course, um, we drew at their place when, when Scarfield missed that penalty right at the end. Uh, yeah, Palace's form has been quite up and down. Just looking at their recent results now, they've won the last two since Pardew came in. But before that, they had goalless draws. Then they lost a couple. They haven't won away um, for a long time. Everton, I think, was the last time they won away in September, so that has been a problem for them. They are level on points with us right now with a slightly better goal difference. Um, so it would be a, another similar one to QPI in that if we won, we'd go above them. Um, <laughs> we've spoken a lot about this run of games, James, but it's it's so important, isn't it, to get points from these games, these home games, against teams that are also down there because... That's what the six-point thing means, isn't it? If we get the three points, it's three points that they can't get. and It just provides such a big confidence boost when you get one over on the teams around you as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, what happens is 
we take points of heaven around us and everyone around us draws of each other and you know no one's picking up three points while we are but um i think you know a key thing about particularly palace is when you look back early in the season to the game at their place it's one of the way really we should have got more out of it and um i just don't think you can allow yourself to drop points against them again particularly at home um, when obviously they are going to be one of the teams that are fighting down there with us to stay up it'll be interesting to see if Scarfield has another good game actually because there was a really good response I think from the players and the fans at Sellhurst when he had that penalty saved at the end but he was quite clearly devastated that he'd missed that chance to, to get us an extra two points but he was much better on keep against QPR I think that's the best he's played since the first few weeks of the season so hopefully he'll be out for revenge and he can carry that, that improved form into into Saturday's game um, just mention the two players that they have got missing Michael they've Cups without them um, in the Spurs game quite well. Jason Punchin, I noticed, came in and, and played well. He had a really good run of form in the second half of last season. He seems to come alive in January for some reason. Um, but Jednak, their captain, who had a bad game against us at Sellhurst, he holds their midfield together. They're certainly going to miss him, aren't they? Oh, he is a big loss for them. Um, he's one of them players which could probably come into our team and improve it. He, he, he is a really good player. Um and they are going to miss him, but it's like you said, punching come in, and he was a real live wire at the weekend, and showed the ability that he's got. And again, they've got they've got Wilfred Zaha, who's since going back, he's been mixed form. He'll have one good game, one bad game, another good game again. Is it's hard hard one when you've got them type of players on the bench that have got obvious quality, but not as consistent as say Jedinak is. So in that respect, they've lost that. That reliability that they know, know when they go out on the pitch, you can have a generally reliable player in Jedinak. So, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be worse off for it, definitely. It's quite interesting as well that um, Pardew's gone for, for Glenn Murray up front, who was a big player a couple of years ago, but missed almost the whole season with injuries in the last year. And it seemed like he was going to be one of these that just had a, a, a one good season, really, and then dropped down, but he's getting his chance again. So it'll be quite interesting to see if he plays at the turf. They've got some talented players, Palace, considering they are down there. Spironi, of course, saved that penalty at Sellers. He's a very good goalkeeper for me. Uh, James McArthur's in their midfield as well, a player who we're linked quite heavily with in the summer. Palace paid about six, seven million for him, so they are going to be a threat. But yeah, I just think these home games, especially with, with three home games against bottom six teams, coming in such a short space of time if we can win these games I think we get well above the bottom three and then we can take that confidence boost into the next run of fixtures which are a bit tougher going through February and March and they could be a long slog so I really want us to get above that line as much as possible um, one other final thing I want to, to touch on we've talked about Michael King quite a lot but he has made his permanent deal um, he hasn't turned his loan into a permanent deal, I should say, since our last podcast, I think. So we should mention him again. Um, I was a bit surprised Manchester United were willing to sell, actually. Especially for a fee that's been reported to be as low as £2 million. It seems like we've got a real bargain. I'm, I'm really amazed that we've managed to get that one done. It's, it's a real sign of, of intent, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, definitely. You want young, young, determined players that have an ability to grow. And he's coming to the team already shown quite quickly that his current ability is up there. He's already ready. He's a decent 
decent Premier League player with probably probably a very good future in the game ahead of him. Um, possible people have talked about possible England international in the future, and I can imagine he's got got the the look of a young Gary Cahill about him. And the fee to me, if it is anything like reported, if it's down towards two million, I think we've caught an absolute bargain. Um, maybe it's just that Van Gaal, when looking at his team, he likes to play three at the back sometimes. Maybe you don't just don't feel like he needed him. Maybe too far down the pecking order. And I do seem to recall Keane saying that he wanted to stay. So I think we've got a good one. Great deal. I think Michael just you just dealt, dealt with the the player side of it, but also on the strategic side, it's it's a big improvement over the summer, um, where <laughs> where our transfer activity was quite shambolic at times. Um, Dash has obviously targeted Keane. He knows knows the player. I think I think he said in an interview it was kind of on the cards since he signed on loan from the from um, on on deadline day. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm kind of glad that we've almost put the, the the summer transfer window behind us and and all those failed failed attempts to get different players in. Um, we put that behind us. Um, and Dash has started this window well and and gone and got quite an asset right at the beginning yeah I think it's it's saying that we're going to be decisive isn't it I think that's really important and, and even if it was um, sort of a clause of the loan deal or if it, even if it had been mentioned I think some people have even said that we tried to buy him on deadline day but there just wasn't time to get the, the deal done I don't know if that's accurate or not but yeah I think the decisiveness is really keen to get it done when other clubs were starting to be alerted how good he was I think that's important we've struck um, before anyone else could sort of come in and, and get there first and uh, Michael's already mentioned Gary Cale but I think it's similar to Trippier and me in a way as well in that they came in on loan did well and we got them signed up cheap before anyone else noticed how, how full potential they are and I agree I think Keane is potentially an England international um, Adam just mentioned the, the summer deals that, that didn't happen one of those was for, for Craig Dawson um, in hindsight, James, maybe it's a good thing that we didn't get Dawson. Kane's probably a better player, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I mean, if you look at um, probably what's most important for a club our size is that that when you spend money on someone, you've you've got an opportunity of return. Um, and obviously, with Kane, you've got that massive upside that he's only going to get better. And as a result, you know, we paid two million for him now. If he turns out to be sort of like you know, we've said potentially that Gary Cahill, um, he's going to be worth a lot of money in the future. And, and you know, when you're a club our size, ultimately when you get players in, you want to be able to sell them on for more money than you paid. I think that's absolutely right. We need to be able to develop players as well. And I think Keane has already shown that he's he's got that potential to go a long way already com- compared to when he first came into the side. I think he's already come on leaps and bounds and hopefully... Um, assuming he stays inside for the rest of the season, which which I think we'd all agree he will do now, fitness permitting. I think we'll we'll see how good he can be, and even if there is like an agreement in the deal that if we get relegated we'll sell him, I think we'll still do very well at the deal. It seems like almost no risk to me. If it's about two million quid, even if it's three, I think we pretty much guaranteed to get that back in the summer if we were to go down. And if if he stays, then we've got a player who's going to be excellent at championship level. So it's wins all round for me, and I'm really pleased we got that done. Um, just one little interesting aside: if if you didn't notice, it was Kane's 22nd birthday the other day, 
and he shares a birthday with Michael Duff, actually. He was 15 years older than him. Duff is just about old enough to be Michael Keane's dad. <laughs> really strangely, Keane will have been 11 years old when Duff made his debut for Burnley, and I'm sure that's something that will make everyone feel quite old as we round off the podcast for this week. We will just do a quick prediction for Palace, although there's another game before then. Um, a big home game then. Are you going to predict another win in that one as well, James? Uh, yeah, I'm going I'm to go with another win. Um, like I said, I think it's a, a really key game, and particularly after you know the disappointment not getting something at Sellers Park, I think we were really fired up for it. Um, I'm going to go for 3-1. I think we can win this one as well. I'm going to say 2-1 again, I think. What about you, Michael? I think we need a clean sheet. I think 2-0. Quite confident. Yeah, 2-0. Excellent. Confident stuff to round off this week's podcast. That is about all we've got time for this week. We'll be back the same time next week. Thanks to my guests, Adam, James and Michael. If you do have any feedback, please do get in touch. As ever, the email address is podcast at never. Dot net and you can let us know as well if you ever want to come on and be a guest we're always after new blood you can tweet us as well our twitter name thing is at net. and also a final thank you to our sponsors at Neville G without whom we couldn't do the podcast or the website or anything really so thanks again to them but that is all we've got time for this week we'll see you again next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.